Sometimes I try really to engineer a perfect project and for a long time I thought office culture is like a project and if I set up right it's working it's never working like this office culture is I try to have calm myself and say office culture is like a bonsai it has to grow it has to be trimmed it has to be shaped but it has to be always cultivated it takes a lot of effort and I'm not an absolute patient person to do that but I have to find my inner zen for that and Jean is very good at that <laughs> Welcome to The Light Lounge, the first podcast for lighting designers, creatives, and designers who work with light. My name is Thomas Mnich. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. Welcome back to The Light Lounge. And everyone who is new, welcome to The Light Lounge podcast. Well, my job is it to speak to the most influential and creative lighting designers out there. And in this week's episode, I am excited as always because I speak with one of the lighting designers. I speak with one of the founders of OVI, Office for Visual Interaction. OVI was founded 1997 by Gene Sanden and Enrique Peininger. And I have the great pleasure to speak to Enrique himself. We talk about a lot of things. Of course, I don't need to mention that um, OVI has been working for renowned architects like Zaha Hadid, Bjarke Ingels, Rem Kolhas, Foster's and Partner, and many, many more. And of course, they have won awards for their design excellence and expertise. But as always, I try to look behind the glowing shiny facade and get to know their secrets, what kind of mistakes they have made along the way to get to know and learn from them in order to make better work, to create a better community and to be a better lighting designer. We talk about office culture, how to establish it, how to keep it, how to maintain it. We talk about his first steps in the lighting design industry and how he got his first job in the lighting design community. Of course, we talk about mistakes and we talk about things that he learned along the way that are important for young lighting designers, but also for very well-established lighting designers in order to share and to become and make a better, create a better world and a better lighting design community. Well, I'm super excited. Um, please listen in carefully. Um, yeah, why we? I know. I, well, I'm German. We know that the German accent might be sometimes very straightforward, but I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the beauty he puts into the words and into the content that we talk about. So please stick along. This conversation is one of the ones that I found very, very exciting. So. Okay, now I stop talking. Please, Enrique, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Let's um, give you a quick snapshot where I come from. You're here. I have a sweet German accent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Somehow I cannot get rid of it. I, I grew up in, uh, in Germany, went to school, and I graduated from architectural school in, uh, at the Technical University of Berlin. Uh, I was always interested in very much in, uh, to be honest, When I graduated from my high school, I didn't know what I should do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I was, uh, my father was really into it. You cannot change your subject. You have to pick a subject. So I said, what can I study? So, And I, th I picked architecture because I felt it's the most open subject I can study. I can become afterwards attorney, something in physics, in building physics maybe, architecture, historian. And so I picked simply architecture because it was uh, one of the few, few general studies I could do in Germany. And it was uh, a wonderful study, a wonderful opportunity. It was very interesting for me because it's such a broad view you have on the world. I was always interested in architecture when I was a kid and when I was growing up. I loved mostly mon monasteries. Actually, I was going for vacation when I was like 12 years old into a medieval monastery and I loved it how the praying of the monks was translated into buildings. I thought it was cool. Also, right. the spaces, how they reverberate. I thought it was really cool. So I studied architecture. During my architecture studies, I thought it's interesting about think about the people who interact with architecture. How does architecture shape people or how do they resonate to people and vice versa? So I started, studied at the same time uh, social sciences. I graduated first with architecture and then a year later in social sciences. That was actually how I started out. And that was in, in Berlin, right? In At Berlin. the Technical University of Berlin. Correct. Are you from Berlin or are you... No, from a small town near Hanover, Bielefeld. No one knows it. <laughs> uh, well, of course I know it, but yeah. 
so it, th that's that's quite interesting. So you also are described in a, in a in different interviews as a humanitarian. Is this something that you try? Do you do you see? Do you bring the aspect of society and the interaction of humans? into space i'm not sure if this is a if it is a difficult question but uh, let's let's look at it actually when we designed it ovi we really look at it from different perspectives it's something really important to us uh, when we look at a design we at the design stage we look actually do we answer all the questions like uh, is this sufficient electrical information of course the architecture the design is to be right does this answer the question but we always put ourselves into the position of the user how does somebody perceive the space how if we do uh, actually a convention center we think what would be intriguing to stay longer in a lobby not meet there run through and walk out what does people stay to stay meet earlier make some Instagram pictures or stay afterwards and have a chat what much more spaces intriguing. It's really good to study, for example, uh, very often we uh, visit spaces to see if they're really working, what's not working, what's working on Lincoln Center, but also in Europe, what's working on Old Plaza in Milan. There is a lot to be studied. And then how can we translate this into the current society? How can we as life designers support actually that our design work is relevant for the next years when we at OVI design projects, they don't get refurbished in five years. They're actually becoming they have very long-lasting timelines, typically, what yeah. we're doing. Memorials and these things. Uh, so we really look for modern classic icons. So it's, we don't trend to, uh, tend to design projects which are fairly trendy. We always look for something which is a timeless elegance. And so we have to be very much in tune what's current in the society, where is the society going, and we have to speak to a lot of people. Yeah. So let's uh, let's stick um, a little bit uh, to um, let's come back to the timeline. So you graduated from the TU, TU Berlin in architecture, right. and then did you did you work in architecture? Did you what happened after you graduated from architecture school? My father asked the same. What happened? Because I never worked in architecture <laughs> office. He said, "Was all the studies for nothing?" <laughs> Actually, I was really interested when I studied architecture. I was interested in unique projects, so I studied. What what happens that a unique project comes together? Mm -hmm. It was always interesting. The magazine I looked at a lot, it's a magazine GA. It's a beautiful magazine. And I noticed the unique project always have a certain team. What team is working on it? And the connecting thread through all these projects, which are unique, was actually the lighting designer. The lighting designer, uh, and at the time it was Claude Engel, all the unique projects were touched by Claude and Danielle. Claude and Danielle. Angle. And I looked at this and said, what is a lighting designer? Mm -hmm. I looked, I saw Arup at the time, uh, Arup, okay, and this. And I looked, what is a lighting designer doing? And then I learned what a lighting designer is doing. Actually, I learned is a little bit a big word because there was nothing in Germany you could know about lighting design. It was very difficult. There was not, nothing to, there was no magazine, there was nothing in Germany to find out. Mm -hmm. So I, it was really difficult pre internet. For some of you don't know this, we still used fax at the time. <laughs> So this was a bit the dawn of lighting design. So yeah, how did you discover then Claude? No, yeah, yeah, well, Claude was doing it at the time when I studied the Reichstag in Germany. Uh -huh. I met Claude Engel then. I talked to him and he said, oh, I have an office with three people. I don't need anyone. I want to work in lighting design studio. No, no chance to get into this office with three people. Him, his wife and... Uh, oh, he was that small at that time. Uh, he's, oh, he was always small. Okay, uh, and so I, I did not suspect because the, the the projects he works on are like mega projects. I don't want to jump ahead, but when I started OVI, I, I know, uh, actually Gene, Gene Sano was working with Claude on the Louvre and his project. So I thought Gene, when we set up our office, if Claude can do so good work in such a small team. We don't need a big office. And this was inspiration for me to have an office with Gene of 12 and not bigger. Yeah. Often people think you need a big team to do a good project. How many people does it take to have a good idea? Yeah. So, uh, but I did. I jumped ahead a little bit of Claude Engel coming back. Actually, I graduated and uh, and then I thought I really want to work in lighting studio. There was at the time, unfortunately, when I graduated, there was one lighting studio called um, Lighting uh, Licht Design in Germany. It was the studio. The owner passed away the week before I graduated, <laughs> so <laughs> there was no chance to work. So I was a little desperate, but really determined. <laughs> so 
then I worked for a lighting manufacturer called Celux in Berlin. Mm -hmm. It was after, just after reunification, tons of jobs there. I was actually the liaison in, for architects speaking to manufacturers. They realized, the manufacturer realized, we cannot talk to our customers, uh, the architects and lighting are not. So they hired, I was the first architect in parentheses who they hired. And I was speaking to lighting designers and I was doing it for a clear reason because it was a good infrastructure to learn the trade, what I have to do. And of course, then also get practical experience. I trained myself. The book I was reading is was from uh, Harald Hofmann, Handbuch der Lichtbeleuchtung, Lichtbeleuchtung. And it was a wonderful book. I trained everything on myself there. And of course, by working at Celax, uh, there was a wonderful mentor I had. It was Dr. Paul Schmitz. And actually, he became the one, of, one of the educators in Germany for lighting design, one mm -hmm. of the first educators. Right. He was a professor of mine then later on. So. Are you seriously? Of course. Paul, <laughs> I, I was going there because I, I thought I learned the most from Paul. I have several offers in the industry, and Paul was the one I could, I felt he was most training me to learn it. And that's when I was going there. Yeah. I was there working with Paul for a couple of years, and I was always keen to do really lighting design. At some point, I decided, well, the, the, after the owner of Licht Design passed away, there were small offices, I want to do really take a step forward and so I simply try to find a studio here in America because America is the country for lighting design. <laughs> There's so many generations here. So I came to America, which was actually a funny story. I really was determined. There was two lighting designers in America who were working international. It was Claude Engel. Well, three guys, all respect, he didn't hire. And then George Sexton. By accident, George Sexton had one time a dinner in Berlin and I invited myself to the dinner because I knew the architect, so I was invited, and then somebody asked, who want to bring George back to the hotel? My hand rises, I do that. So I took George, put him in my car, and he didn't know it at the time, but I, I know I drive this car as long until I get a job from him. I asked him, can I have a job for me? He said, well, I don't have a job. Seriously, he said that. I said, I told him how good I am, what I learned. I don't have a job. He said, I said, you have an office with 25 designers. You must have a job. He really didn't want to give me a job. He said, that's when he said, only, I can only hire an intern. I said, I become an intern. So I, be, I was becoming an intern at George Sexton after three months, uh, and I went there, uh, and after three months, they uh, got ordered a visa for me, and I was, becoming, I was promoted to director of international marketing, and I was going after three months, getting jobs. They knew that I was qualified. To be more funny about that, you know who my boss was at George Sexton? Gene Sundin. I, I started out as an intern of Gene Sundin. So your business partner today was your boss today. So Yes. <laughs> did you drive with her in a car as well for, for hours to convince her uh, to start a business? Or how uh, did... Uh, well, no, actually this was very different. Actually, uh, so first she had a really cool car. She had a, a convertible BMW Z3. Oh, wow. Really cool, man. Mm. She took me first time for a ride. And I know it was a cool car. She asked me, how is this convertible? Nice weather. I said, ah, pretty okay. <laughs> so, of course, of course. Not didn't let on there. Oh, yeah, it not was okay. It, and after she told me, you were pretty chilled, actually. <laughs> no, but actually the point is that actually simply with George Sexton, we had simply different objectives uh, where uh, uh, he saw his business going and uh, I got jobs in and um, he was, of course, having jobs. And we had simply different objectives and um, Gene simply informed me well, I think it's time for me to leave. I said, oh, I understand that. Shall we set up an office? Actually, seriously, our discussion was uh, 30 seconds or less. <laughs> as quickly as that, we decided to set up office. Wow. Because I knew when Gene is gone, it's no fun for a week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm all for enjoy the work. Actually, it's hard work, but my, my thing is always, it must be a wonderful infrastructure to be creative and have energy. When we look at the office, everyone is really is energetic, has ideas, is fueling each other with ideas, and I know I really fuel off good ideas from Gene and vice versa. Yeah. And that's how we set up office with Gene. And, and we, definitely, we definitely speak about the importance of team and how to potentially build a culture that allows for an environment. Because it, in a lot of offices, it seems to be one of the hardest thing to build a culture that allows for, um, for work that is driven by trust, creativity, that you, allow, that you are allowed to sort of um, yeah, blossom and that you can put in the value that, or the creativity and the, you now I'm rambling. 
a good culture allows for the people who work in an office to bring the most value to the table. Um, Maybe let's look at it this way. Sometimes my Germanness comes into my way. Sometimes I try really to engineer a perfect project. And for a long time I thought, office culture is like a project. And if I set up right, it's working. It's never working like this. Office culture is, I try to have calm myself and say, office culture is like a bonsai. It has to grow, it has to be trimmed, it has to be shaped, but it has to be always cultivated. It takes a lot of effort and I'm not the absolute patient person to do that, but I have to find my inner zen for that. And Jean is very good at that. <laughs> it, that's a beautiful uh, metaphor for it, absolutely. Um, so how do you, who, what, are you, what do you enjoy the most in your, in your process, in, in the everyday process? Well, there are different ways, actually. Uh, there are so many fields Jean and I are working in, so it's a little bit hard to say, pick out one. So um, only I pick something comes to mind right now because we just talked about office culture. If I pick something in office culture, I really enjoy when we have a design briefing with our team here and the designers go away and then they prepare something and then they surprise me. That's cool. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I I don't want some people who draft it up and do, well, I told you so, do that. Ah, oh, this is not what I, that, where are we? No, no. Actually, I think it's cool that everyone is here. I try to describe it sometimes. Everyone, we are here like Swiss swatchmakers or like Ferrari. Everyone can drive a Ferrari. And if you give everyone this right racetrack, they can really unleash. But the funny thing is, everyone is very skilled. But an ensemble of a lot of stars doesn't make a winning team. You have to really careful orchestra every instrument here that you really get a really well-oiled machine and then it's really cool. And then they come up with stuff I didn't think about that way. And that was cool. I, and then I come in and I throw something out, some ideas back and forth, and then they make something out of it and that's cool. And I really enjoy that process. It's like a discovery process. But there are a lot of other things I enjoy in my business. Otherwise, I wouldn't run a business. Let's let's stick let's stick to the to the to the culture and how to sort of find people that then sort of click in an environment. Is there uh, there are potentially hints that you see in an, in a first interview when you hire a young designer let's, or an experience? Let's step back. Actually, yeah. uh, actually, I learned it for myself. Actually, office culture depends very much on the principles. We have to be mature enough to handle the right office culture because hiring people is not the right step. Actually, we have to be ready to engage in the right office culture. The point is that we have to be okay. We have to be very much be aware what kind of office culture would we like to have. We really like to have a team. When you look in our office, every there's no boundaries really here. It's really an open space office. They work together in teams on different yeah. projects. And that's the idea about it. So we have to be really also, for example, ready to myself to let them go, that, to give them authority. For example, uh, to, it's really, really true here at OVI. When we hire an intern, we don't use the term intern, and this last time I use that now, we call them young professionals. When somebody comes to us, they actually, even if they come for three months, they get assigned projects, they're part of the project team based on their experience level, they do their thing together with others in teams for example funny situation with somebody here um, uh, for example she uh, started out as a young professional mm -hmm. and she was working with alongside with other designers on a big facade model and developed it over months uh, when she was intern and other thing uh, other project but Uh, somebody, young professional coming to us is not only running lighting calculation. That's the lowest task or doing only drawings or only doing that. It's not how it is. Actually, it's really important for us as an office culture, actually also with young professionals, to engage in all fields what the lighting designer is doing. So we don't pitch with somebody because the, the young designers come to us and they're sometimes so ambitious and I feel such a waste of talent if they don't see what variety there is. They might say afterwards, oh, I did all these things at OVI. But I really gravitate to specification. Fine, but then you have seen everything. And I think that's something where we, as principals, have to be open. Also, when I look at office culture at OVI, for a while, maybe someone is really interested. I see somebody drawing something into drawings. But maybe afterwards, you want to change something and be more engaged in other fields. Fine. Then actually, it's part of our office culture that someone can shift his interest. And that's something we totally like. 
because we feel to have a talented person and who has a positive energy, that's something we want to have, who is creative. And the point is, everyone spent so much time in his office. I had jobs. I was working hard in my first jobs, and I did not always like it. You spend so much lifetime in, at your job. It shouldn't be wasted lifetime. And that's when we, Gene and I really spent effort to have a nice office, to have a nice environment as much as possible. And, but it, and that's, that's, I could not um, praise you more for that. But it, at, at the same time, it sounds like as well that it takes a lot of um, strength on your side to let go, right? Because if you're a business owner, you need to, in order to be surprised. Strength is made wrong work. For me, I would say patient. Because I'm so impatient. Because yeah. of my one of my skills, I might further develop in the future. Patience. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, I can tell your energy is is uh, I don't want to say through the roof, but it's very <laughs> impressive. Yes, it's very impressive. I only drink decaf. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long have you been at George Saxon before? Uh, I think a And year or so. Yeah. Okay. Um, And I don't want to dwell too yeah, much sure. on, on the past. What, so in your, in your partnership with Jean, what, how would you describe... She, you mentioned that you are more on the engineering part and she is more on the people's part. Is this correct? No. How would you describe your... your um, yeah, you Actually, we don't have a... Your leadership uh, team. We don't have clear boundaries at our office be working between Jean and me. Uh, typically, there are some more gravitation points, maybe, I would say, but they are flexible. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's not that, oh, I engage with these clients and Jean engage with these clients. Actually, simply, in some situations, it's more useful. I describe it like a soccer team. Sometimes it's better to uh, have a certain lineup this way if you drive with two... Um, uh, uh, with this team... Uh, to, in order to communicate something, sometimes it's better to have a different lineup. Right. And actually, sometimes some clients respond better to me in certain situations, uh, in certain discussion, and sometimes as with Jean. And uh, as yesterday, we went together to a client meeting because it was the right lineup, the right situation. What is the best way to communicate where we are, what our objectives are, what's the best? step for the project. So there's not a clear uh, uh, lineup. I would say there's a gravitation point that Gene is very much uh, very patient. That is amazing. And I sometimes cannot understand how, how she does this, but it's very, uh, that's very good. Uh, so this is a great point. I always see how she can handle all the different tasks here in the office and I come in also. So And I have some other tasks sometimes to reach out to clients and Sometimes I do a, a little travel together with Jean on project wise. So yeah. it's always a little flexible. You see, actually, the problem is we don't have a typical project. Uh, we have so much international work and so much different types of work. So everything is so fluid that we don't. There's no formula for us how to do it. If you look at the formula how we are working, I think the closest formula you can say is we have a complete integrated design process. Integrate lighting is really integrated into architecture, and it's always paired with in innovation but there's not a formula that we we do it this way at OVI no actually even for each project we have to see what's the right answer right now and maybe I'm maybe I'm trying to connect dots here like your first maybe the common line in all of your projects is maybe rooted in your excitement for monasteries and I think one of the projects that you mentioned as something very inspirational and of course the Tado Ando Chapel of Light absolutely amazing that you just bring to whatever project just this extra I don't want to say, maybe magic into every into every project that does not need to follow like a specific I don't know like a pattern of light that that you develop that's a nice way to put it I didn't think about it this way how you how you how you word it, but I think it's very nice to put it this way. What's nice about Tao Ando, there's a moment of when you step in, oh, surprise, a positive surprise, that you don't expect that, and that's what Gene and I are looking, how to touch a project in a way that it makes, it's not, it doesn't push you, but it makes you a nice, comfortable surprise. What we use very much at OVI, often a metaphor, is uh, lighting design is like film music, 
the architecture of the film and the music should be very subtle, should you move through space, it should generate emotions, it makes you stand a moment, take a breather and move on. And that's actually what the chip of light is. Mm -hmm. and, it's, uh, and if you have a movie and you realize the music, it's wrong. We are very, at lighting, at OVI, we are very subtle. It's all about the architecture. So that's actually the chapel of light. You walk out there, it's a magical moment, and no one will describe the, or no one, no. Very few, most people will describe the magic, but they don't analyze the lighting, and that's about light film music. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because the projects you work on are all very extraordinary and not necessarily subtle. So when I think about Zaha Hadid, for example, or big in a different way, like all the all the architects you work with are have these these really complex pieces of architecture. And you mentioned also in another interview to the Chapel of Light when you look at it from from a calculation standpoint, it's not it's not right by sort of by sort of the the standard practice. Other moments in projects where you think, okay, this does this is not based on the handbook it's not right how we calculate it but it will be it will have a magic moment in the project when it's finished that's very nicely worded we have to be very mindful as lighting designers because we live in different worlds at the same time so when we do something like this, I don't want to be too specific, that's been a little vague. Uh, yes, there are these moments, but we have to have a, have a big buy-in. And actually, we, uh, I always describe it, machine when we start a project, there are, let's say, three big ideas in a project. What makes a project vibrant, active, and nice? We have to find these three, three core ideas in architecture and translate this into lighting. And this might require, then, for example, to give a simple example, is uh, the Scottish Parliament, uh, the uh, room, uh, the office of the member of Scottish Parliament. We discussed what is the design with Enrique Morales and Benedetta, and the, it was clear Enrique didn't like too much lighting. So in the initial design stage, SD, we reworded the uh, MSP, member of Scottish Parliament office, to MSP room. So this means legally we don't have to provide office lighting. We only provide light levels at the workspace, at the table. But in the other areas, it was the light levels dropping off. That was actually getting around a little bit the high light level situation is what you're describing. But this means we have to understand the architecture and then translate it into the lighting world and fuel it into the program. Architectural design is actually a few loops, but it's in principle a linear program. Once you hit certain milestones, certain things are blocked in and you cannot go back. If we have the idea of the MSP room in tender, it will never work. Client will say, well, the brief said you have, have 300 lux or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, you don't, don't have 300 lux everywhere. And that's the reason if you have an idea, you have to find the idea very early on and carry through this idea through the entire project. And this makes the project so unique. People feel, oh, you're so lucky to have this unique project. Where do you find them? The challenge is there's a project, but you have to nurture them at a very, very early stage And there are a lot of ideas we have at the beginning. And we have to make sure that the core ideas are carried through. And it's a lot of trust we develop together with the architect that they really see the same vision. And if we are a good match, it's a wonderful relationship and it's fun. And that's we have to be the right match. We are not always the right match for every team. So we have to, it's very important to be really honest with the architect. What are their expectations? What are our expectations? So we are the right match because what's the point in having a Ferrari when you go on a cobblestone road? So if we are the Ferrari, get us on the right road and we make wonderful laps. Wonderful We're work, together yeah. with the architect. Yeah. So, and I just wanted to mention one project that I'm, I, there are a couple of projects, of course, that I'm super fascinated by. And I think the way how you also, you, the importance of context, I think becomes more than, self-explanatory with the New York Times building by Renzo Piano, where the light fixture is not not just illuminating the building, but also picking up the color of the city. Um, what is absolutely absolutely amazing. How how do you, and I'm not exactly sure where I want to, where, where this question will lead, but how important is context to you in projects? Or how do you make sure in... This is a wonderful question. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, 
we, we, we call it here OVR cultural context. Each project has two cultural contexts. One, the architect. We very often put ourselves into the position of the architect. If the architect would have the knowledge we have, how would they design it? I say sometimes a metaphor. If the architect describes their project and writes a chapter, if they write one sentence about lighting, you should not see a different handwriting or a different connotation. It should seamlessly fill in. So there's one context of the architect. How would the architect design a Spanish architect like Enrique Marles design a project in Scotland? Or uh, architect like Foster and Partners design a project in the Middle East? Second cultural context is the location of the project. How can we make that the project belongs there? We really work hard at OVI. When we do a project, it should not look like a New York City design to so design a project for I'd say now, Shanghai. No, it should belong to Shanghai. Make it relevant in Shanghai. So people feel, well, it's part of context, it's unique, but it belongs to Shanghai and not to Hong Kong. It does not belong to, to certainly not to, uh, to Beijing because they have a different uh, setup there a little bit. But how can we make it relevant? And then even more, it doesn't belong to Berlin, for example. How can we make it that it belongs there? One example is look at the local tradition. We always look what is the local tradition in certain countries. Actually, what are local patterns? One, uh, one easy example is actually when we did Scottish Parliament, we used actually uh, inspiration from the Glasgow School of Art, mm -hmm. hanging lights of Macintosh. So we always look what is the local tradition and how, but very often don't copy it, don't be literal. It has to be abstract. It has to be an abstraction that becomes artistic. Otherwise, it's only happy, it's only heavy copy and this is by no means what we try to do yeah just sticking one moment to the to the Renzo Piano New York Times building was it hard to convince him to use color because I think it's the only colorful color, yeah, element on no, the actually, facade no uh, actually to be honest uh, now everyone looks through his lights yellow lights aha uh -huh. yeah it's a taxi yellow because it's cultural context. To step back a little bit how we arrived there was the following thing. It was not a joke that we did this. It was actually a mandate of the uh, Times Square district. We have to animate the facade. How they animate the facade is actually with LED screens. Renzo Piano's office and Renzo didn't like LED screens. It's not cool, man, or it's not elegant, and we agreed to it. So we thought about how can we animate the facade? Uh, Client said, oh, you can have moving lights like in a Broadway show. Not cool, man. <laughs> so we said, how can we make it elegant? So what we did is actually, we uh, asked the manufacturer, I personally took a light actually to a painting shop in a taxi, taxi painting shop, and they painted it. They asked me, well, which generation of yellow do you want to have? So, and then we had one well, taxi. How, do we, how, do you, how many do you have? Yeah, yeah no, no, we have, <laughs> we have a yellow light, taxi yellow, and we had also a rent red light. We showed both lights. Renzo Piano is always using a certain red. So we painted two lights, one uh, text yellow, one red. We explained Renzo red. <laughs> and then the other one was yellow. And he said, oh, yellow is nice. And then, uh, then they said, let's go with the yellow lights. Uh, and then we submit this to a Times Square district to say, look, we animate the facade with the lights. The lights have a color. And they said, yeah, there's no, it's not described how to animate the facade. They accepted that this was animating the facade. That's an amazing backstory. But we always look for these little twists, how we, how read codes creative. Another example was actually uh, the United States Air Force Memorial. We have to, the Air Force Memorial are big stainless steel spires, like 300 feet tall, really tall. Mm -hmm. Technically, they are a flight obstruction. So we need to have a red flashing light. Mm -hmm. That's a code, mm -hmm. kind of. The code also says, if you have a church, you can you don't have to put a red light on the church. You floodlight the, the church in a certain way. Mm -hmm. In the upper third, 15-foot candle, I think it was at the time, in the upper third of the obstruction. And so we said, well, we don't do the red beacon. We do we treat this like a church steeple. And that's the reason the Air Force Memorial doesn't have a red flashing light. So we have to be very creative with codes to get around and come up with a creative solution. So it sounds like that you are combining the beautiful elements of engineering and creativity that yes there are some rules but at the same time how can we make the rules work for our advantage exactly we have to be very mindful about it that we have a creative solution uh, which actually fits to the cultural context and makes simply a timeless elegant project 
Yeah. And we never use the, oh, because the rules are this way, as engineering-wise, we have to do it that way. That's such an engineering augmentation. We don't use that at OVI. How did, how did you... You had sort of right away from the beginning, it seems like very big, successful clients that sort of appreciated your work. Could you... Are there... Would you be able to share potentially a story how you got these projects how did you meet Zaha the first time like how like I'm not sure if it is, if it is okay true. no I'm fine with that so um, we started out OVI we want to do office I mentioned that with Jean zero jobs no jobs mm -hmm. so what do we do so let's start so the point is we did competitions we we went to uh, we uh, we heard about a certain job and we said well we We believe we are really good. So if you really test us, we can win that. Mm -hmm. And for example, the Scotch Parliament was a public tender process. Uh, and with all respect, they are very qualified lighting designers in UK. Mm -hmm. uh, so we submit our papers. Uh, was qualified, but I said, well, I can really handle such a job. And then we, there was a test And we passed the test with Zahadid was the same. Zahadid was a really funny story. Zahadid was, we started working with Zahadid over, I think, 20 years ago, something like this, over 20 years ago. Zahadid was at the time a very small studio. There were 45 designers at the time. And um, she, she never built. So it was, she had only these art pieces. Uh, she just won a commission for the Cincinnati Contemporary Art Center. So we went there and said, oh, we are really good. <laughs> I didn't say it this way. You have to be, I was more subtle. Uh, so I said, I think we can really do something. And I was totally fascinated by Zaha, of course. And then she said, okay, how good are you? Well, we are really good. Yeah, we, do comp uh, we do competition, show us what you can do. And then we had uh, three competitions on one weekend with them and actually we, to, we were in the evening meeting on fri uh, Friday on the flight back Saturday the first competition entries uh, Sunday uh, uh, and then uh, I called on uh, Sunday I, we submitted Friday information Sunday evening the information I spoke to the head architect who led the, was in charge of the office Zaha went through the information I said uh, is there something else he said no I said but you sound so hesitant he said yes I said what is up He said, well, I was actually expecting that you tell me that you cannot do that because it's too much work. One was, in, one was even in Italian and so on. So we did three competitions. We did the ski jump in Innsbruck. We did the science center in Germany and the in, uh, ferry station in Salerno. Zara did won all three competitions in one weekend. They never won this weekend. This was for her the breakthrough. Un unbelievable. Un yeah, it was really unbelievable. And no, can you believe it? Salerno was opened after 20 years last year. It takes forever. And they, all these projects were actually executed. But then this was actually a very cool uh, situation. We won this uh, commission. At the same time, we were working with uh, Ram Kolhas on the Dutch embassy. Uh -huh. So it was a very intense time. That was really intense. And then there was a competition coming up for the Scottish Parliament. And this was after, I think, OVI was fairly established for a few months or maybe a year. Mm -hmm. And then we won this competition against Spears and Major. And, so, and then somebody head down and work. Head down and do good work. Unbelievable. It's, yeah, I need, I need to pause a little bit because, yeah, it's, it's really intense, I can imagine. We were working around the clock. Yeah. Around the clock. <laughs> no one actually uh, people are romanticizing how beautiful it is it must be so nice it was a cool time mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it in a certain way but it was you don't believe how hard it was actually uh, at the time it sounds good now but when we set up office no one liked it we eat the lunch of someone else they were always fighting back what do you believe if we pick up commission here here and here all these things other lighting that were thought to get something like this. So not everyone was happy. Now it's a different situation. Oh, yeah, okay. But that's the reason we really have respect for young talent and if they make it. And that is really, it's really frustrating for me. If you talk about what I don't enjoy is fake competition. Oh, they should tell me, they have the preset, fine. Be happy, go on. Don't mm -hmm. waste our time. It's okay. Yeah. I love open competition. Open competition, open-minded. Yes, all day long. Good example, the New York City Streetlight was an anonymous competition, and mm -hmm. we won that. Mm -hmm. So open competition are really cool, and then we can really 
fuel. How is it today? Do you have do you have dream projects or or specific clients that you really would like to have, or are there still kind of ambitious goals? I don't know where you where you're I able think to I've go from here, but yeah, actually, uh, ambitious goals. Uh, I don't use these words, ambitious goals. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I'm triggered by certain things like uh, but it's not that uh, I go oh, I, if I win this account or this or this it's, it's not uh, how how we think at OVI we look at something so that is cool what could what would we do for such a project mm -hmm. and this triggers me then I say oh it itches on me mm -hmm. when I was very young graduating from architecture school I was teaching architecture students and actually I took them uh, I did uh, weekends workshops I was teaching I said well we make compressed workshop whole weekend I took them to in Germany to the pavilion of Tadao Ando in the south of Germany so whole weekend because I felt when we do a seminar there they will respond different to architecture And I looked at, I did also own interest because I thought these spaces are so unique design, how the details are done, how he does the concrete work, how light incorporate, all the scenes are done. Mm -hmm. This is so cool to see that and not on the drawings that you can really feel it. And so we were staying there for uh, four days with the students. It was mm -hmm. very cool. But we are triggered by what we see and that we it, it itches us. Oh, what can we contribute? How can we put, is that beauty? And sometimes we say it's simply nice and beauty. There's, we talked about the church of yeah. Tadarando. It's simply beauty. It's timeless beauty. And if we can be part and support that, wonderful. Yeah. As these projects you work on are, I, and people just have to look at your website, it's uh, very representing all your work in a very nice way. So they take such a long time. And we talked about that a little bit before already is how it seems like it did not get easier to incorporate details from the beginning into into a project that they end up as like detailed as you have planned it how do you make sure that from the beginning till the end everything gets sort of as planned from the beginning implemented are there secrets that you have or is it well, just one secret is it's not as planned <laughs> because it changes all <laughs> the time. Uh, it changes all the time some construction methods change maybe no, new materials are there yeah. the uh, detail mounting detail might be different so the point is the uh, secret is we always have to keep the big picture in mind what is the vision and how does this translate and we have to be flexible then also uh, when they give us a call say well we are now for example right now it's going on a project in Rabat a concert hall with Hadid this project goes on I think for five or seven years or something like this right now in the final stages and now the cove details slightly change because at the time we did the right thing but it's in reality this, uh, we have to be simply be flexible Right. We have to be flexible and actually the point is don't always bean count everything. Some people bean count everything, think about efficiency, think about this, uh, uh, no, my contract is done, I know the contract is done, but in another, on another foot, you know, would you like to have a sloppy detail and say, well, at least I stick to my contract? F working five years on that and then you, you do that? <laughs> is that beauty? <laughs> And maybe maybe I maybe I approach it with a with a negative connotation in mind. It also can be positive, right? That that technical um, components yeah. advanced, and yeah. suddenly the detail as you had planned it becomes more sleek and more more fine. We have to be, flex we have to be flexible. Yeah, that's what it is. And actually, be open-minded. Always yeah. be open-minded. Actually, we cannot insist on something. We have to listen because other players in a project they are also smart have also certain ideas and then ask them well what would you suggest listen to them mm -hmm. and don't pound on it oh we are OVI we do it this way oh no mm -hmm. <laughs> don't do that this is total that's not uh, actually we are really office for visual interaction is actually also a mission for us it's not about Gene, Sun and myself or that we treat ourselves like that we push into it. That's not how we can be team players as lighting designers. Lighting designers to be very, very unique quality and that's the reason it's visual interaction means how the materials are finished, how are they reflecting. So we have to be good listeners and team players with the architect, with the construction team. It's architecture is a collaborative process. And it sounds like that you're really good at listening and establishing relationships that you are just as one example of your client still sort of the the lighting designer for Zahadid over 20 for over 20 years now 
Yeah, we enjoy that very much. And it's actually like in a relationship, that's actually one of the secrets I think also. It's like in a relationship when you are married, you have always think about what can you bring to the relationship. It's not only you're comfortable with the relationship. You have to think from time to time, listen, okay, how did you... What's happened on your side? So how can we do something? This relationship evolve and change. And uh, so uh, well, how can we be a good team partner in this relationship? I think that's absolutely wonderful to come to to sort of an end of our conversation. I could not agree more. It sounds excellent. I I, I, w I just want to stay here and become <laughs> a, a part of your family. Um, what are What is advice that you would give to young Let's let's make it a two-part answer. One is like to younger designers potentially starting out and something maybe for other business owners that are sort of also in the in the luxury car business to use the metaphor <laughs> of the Ferrari. Okay, let's start with young designers. For young designer, be open-minded, ask questions and be okay to fail. But if you fail, be rigorous in the process and do course corrections. You have no idea. Our, our portfolio looks like a glaring, wonderful lineup of successes, but you don't have an idea how often we fall down and you have to pick up ourselves. Surround yourself with the guys, with the friends who share your spirit and find something what you really love because if you love it, it makes fun, it makes you healthy and it fuels yourself. That's actually, I think that's what I can say for a young designer. I was... I say it only because I was, I was long time miserable and I didn't want to do that to anyone else. At what stage have you been miserable? I felt it was, it was painful. I was getting up at eight o'clock, going to work at eight o'clock. I hated that. I couldn't even think. It was, it mm -hmm. was, I, was too, I felt it was really not the right thing. As a manufacturer, it was too hard for me to get up at eight. I couldn't think at 10.30. <laughs> That's when my office starts at nine o'clock or 9.30. I come in at 10 o'clock uh, and I did not like that. Yeah. And also, actually, that, uh, this, uh, some, things, some other things I didn't like in my life. So uh, actually make it really sure that the environment where you are working is really the right environment and uh, it takes but have a long-term goal on it not only a short-term payback rate on something you have to make investment I say something you have to if you invest something you get something back if you invest only you have 10, 10 units 10 dollars and you invest 2 dollars well you cannot get more than 2 dollars back or lose 2 dollars save card you go back with 8 dollars home and you are miserable uh, you don't have to throw away your money but be, be calculated risk Yeah. That's what I did. I did an internship. Well, I didn't earn any money, but I got a job out of it. It was a calculated risk. I felt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't have family, so I could do that. And for potential other business yeah. owners, what you would like to see or what you observe? Actually, or what that's a very different uh, answer, I have to say, for a business owner. For a business owner, I think one of the most important things is respect your employees and treat them properly. I unfortunately have to say I see some business owners do a really good job, and I praise them and I really respect it. Unfortunately, I see some business owners who treat young professionals not properly and then they wonder, why don't we have more young professionals? Yeah, if you give them a crappy, and I'll say word again, internship, they don't want to stay. Clearly, you burn down the camp for the next generation. Don't do that. So as business owner, we have to have actually a lot of objectives. Actually, I think it would be nice to connect more to each other. I think our organizations are not doing a good job. It would be nice if we can more... I know they're always afraid that we... It's not about fees. The point is, I want to compare experiences. We went through such a painful process to grow from two to ten. That is a gap where our organization should help because we have all the same problems in the, getting there. And we only... We, I feel when I talk to my colleagues in this range, we all invent the same wheel in parallel with us talking to each other. We can share experiences. I'm open to share experiences because, you know what, I work on such a specialized field, you cannot copy it anyway. <laughs> so I, I don't have a problem to share some of these experiences. And it would be nice if there are more professional lighting designers. And for a goal for my lighting designer generation is that we establish ourselves as a real profession. That would be something and that we are not like a little flower on the side. We can have impact, but we have to be really professional on it. And that probably only is more possible when we collaborate more and potentially share and work more together. Yes, we should share experiences. Architects do this much better. And uh, it's uh, not a kumbaya dance. The point is, 
Where do we fail? How do we come failure? When we set up OVI, okay, how very basic things. How do you generate cash flow? What is actually, uh, I, I saw a sad situation. Uh, one lighting I was fighting all this uh, fight here with the, uh, with the city agency about uh, tax. She was fighting all the fights alone without the support of the organization. Everyone, they, we should be better together as a group, share our experiences, failures, and success, then we all get as a group stronger. Yeah. And we should be better as a group together. Enrique, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It was, at least for me, truly enlightening. And I, I truly got to know you and your company and your culture much, much better. And I'm, I'm, I thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I think you do a great job. I looked at your light lounge. I think that is something what I mean on some level that you find actually a unique platform to connect and that fosters our lighting culture and that's something which has to be done much more I'm only I know lighting design here in uh, America is further along but I would have again I'm a little impatient but thank you for your effort to connect these dots and let's do this more of course thank you so much looking forward to hear more podcasts from you Ladies and gentlemen, dear lighting designers, dear creatives, dear poets, thank you so much for listening in, sticking so long. I, I'm super excited. Like the energy, the wisdom, and all the knowledge, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Enrique. It was my absolute true pleasure. For the one or two people who don't know OVI yet, please check out their work under OVI inc.com and to get to know what amazing work they do. Please also send them some love on their amazing Instagram account uh, OVI Lighting and say hi uh, kind regards of course always from me. Please get in touch with me I would love to hear your story. Please let me know what you like, what you hate, what you don't like, where I can learn what kind of mistake, mistakes I do and where you think the podcast could be improved and uh, yeah, I would love to get in touch. Okay, that is it for this week's podcast. I know I have not been super, super on time uploading, but this will change. However, if you want to know when a new podcast episode is uploaded, please just follow me on Instagram and there you will get the latest and greatest information. Okay, now so long. I wish you all the best. Stay lit.